Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Oh my God, are you okay? You know I'm okay. Yeah, but you hurt yourself pretty badly. I, I, I did cut my foot, yes. Cat was, uh, she was doing floor demolition, uh, pulling the peel and stick tiles off the bathroom floor and, uh, and hurt herself. Yeah. Well, one of them was stuck pretty good, and so I was hauling on it. And when it finally gave way, you know, I pulled it toward me, right, and it, right. it just kind of sliced the side of my foot. And then she blames me for where she accuses me of mocking her. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, yeah, you were concerned. But then, like, just moments later, I was pulling out more tile, and you were like, whoa there. Hey. Take it down a notch. Well, you know, I, I mock with love. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a love mocker from way back. Well, no, I'm not making fun of you because I, I have hurt myself in some really silly ways. Yeah, do you, do you I remember? mean, you've never taken me to the emergency room. No, you've taken me to the emergency room a number of times. Mm-hmm. One time I sneezed and threw my back out. <laughs> and I'm worried that the older I get when I sneeze, I'm not only going to throw my back out, but but pee. Well, I already do that. Oh, so okay. Right. We'll be on an even plane yeah, there. Yeah. Notice how I didn't mock you for that. This time, I've got a weak bladder floor or something. I don't know. What's it called? Pelvic floor? Maybe you should do some pelvic floor demolition. I don't think that's advisable. Regardless, I have a story for you. Here we go. Retrofuturism. Retrofuturism is a movement in the creative arts showing the influence of depictions of the future produced in an earlier era. So it's kind of like examining if art becomes life, that kind of thing? In a way, if futurism is sometimes called a science bent on anticipating what will come, uh, retrofuturism is the remembering of that anticipation. Uh, That's according to Wikipedia. I I have always been fascinated with retrofuturism, how people in the past thought our life Today, our today, their future would be. Yeah. I, anytime you can find videos of like what a scientist thought the year 1997 <laughs> would be like, mm-hmm. it, you have to watch it. I do. I, and there's, there's a lot 
on YouTube that, uh, well, it's just good fun. It's one of the reasons why even today I still love the original Star Trek series, because so many of the things that they depicted at that time as science fiction came to pass. Mm. You know, the communications devices were very, they very clearly resemble cell phones. And the fact that Captain Kirk could verbally give the computer commands, I think of that every time I say, Alexa, put butt plugs on my shopping list. (laughs) Stop. In 1909, Nikola Tesla envisioned an instrument that he said, quote, will enable its bearer to hear anywhere on land or sea for distances of thousands of miles. And now more than a century later, his vision is in about 90% of all Americans' pockets. Wow. Over the years, Time magazine put together issues that would predict what uh, what they thought would, would come in the future. And they did this periodically, like about once a decade. They may still do it. I don't know. But here are some of the things that they predicted. In 1933, Dr. Thomas Hall Shasted wrote an article about the face of the future, literally about how your face would evolve. Oh, that's interesting. He was convinced that humans in the uh, future would be cyclops. Is it cyclops or cyclopses? They would be cycli. They'd be cyclopian. Um, Now, that means, of course, that they would have one eye. He thought this would be distant centuries or perhaps even millennia from where we are right now. But they would have one eye. Uh, in the center of their forehead, but but low down, about where the bridge of your nose is today. Why? Well, his thinking was that the human eye evolved originally so that we could see far into the distance. Mm-hmm. But he reasoned in 1933 that because modern humans of that day read, they wrote, they examined pictures, and as he said, repaired watches. Um, and, and also they were cutting germs at the time. These are all up-close actions, and he thought that uh, we would evolve to accommodate those more close-range tasks and activities by uh, developing just one single eye in the middle of our forehead so we could repair watches. I, admittedly, I am not an eyeball expert, um, but I feel like that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it would make for some interesting eyewear, for sure. It, listen, if I have one eyeball, it better work. It better be 20 vision. <laughs> Back in 1951, Time magazine covered the construction of a new television station. Uh, and in that article, they addressed what they saw as the potential downsides of this new medium. They were concerned that the population was developing a television-obsessed culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, which obviously is true. Fair. Quote, our people are becoming less literate by the minute. Reading books and thinking thoughts apparently would be done less and less because an increasing amount of time is being eaten up by people watching TV. They hypothesized that, quote, by the 21st century, our people doubtless will be squint-eyed, hunchbacked, and fond of the dark. (laughs) (laughs) He then went on to say, quote, But why am I carrying on like this? Chances are that the grandchild of the television age won't know how to read this anyway. Oh, wow. What a snarky bee. The part about the squint-eyed and hunchback seems to be coming true, uh, mostly because of the advent of Tesla's idea, uh, the cell phone. (laughs) We're all just perpetually looking down, scrolling with our thumbs. I wonder if we'll evolve like multiple thumbs, like two more. I type with two thumbs. Or 
in for increased scrolling for increased scrolling and typing efficiency on a cell phone i think that's really unfair is because it depends on what you're watching on TV. You can watch very educational, informative things that expand your mind and make you think. I mean, yeah, if you're watching garbage TV, sure, it's but it's not the medium. It's not the TV that's the problem. It's like when people complain about the Internet. Oh, yeah, you hate all the information. <laughs> you hate all the information in the world being yep. available to you. All of the information. It's terrible. It's I bad. Get, yeah, I get it. We don't want people to be educated, sweetie. We've learned this. You just You can't blame the medium. In 1956, a doctor named Francois Odie prophesied that eventually every medical malady and disease will be treatable with one miracle pill. He thought that eventually we would come across some sort of a um, substance that would straighten out anything wrong in our cellular bi um, biology and uh, would, would fix it. That sounds more like a, gee, wouldn't it be nice if, rather than a, I think probably this will happen. In some ways, they're starting to see some of that type of possibility in stem cells, but not quite the same thing. Right now. He, he thought that uh, once this happened... All of the brilliant surgeons, and he was one of the most well-respected in Europe at the time, all of the brilliant surgeons in the world would be put out of work. Hospitals would become extinct. We will not need hospitals. They'll be eliminated. It would obliviate the need for surgery. So the same thing that's going to cure your diarrhea is also going to mend a broken arm? Yes. Yep. That's come. What are you even... What? What kind of thing is he taking? Because, he's, honest to goodness. He's taking a miracle pill of some I sort. I guess maybe. so. One of the concerns they would tackle time and time again, every one of these episodes, uh, because it's always been a concern, is food shortages in the future. In 1966, the Rand Corporation predicted that frogmen would live in undersea bunkers and tend to kelp farms. They imagined that, quote, huge fields of kelp and other kinds of seaweed would be tended by undersea frog farmers. What? Not not frogs, but, you know, frogmen. That was a popular term for a scuba diver back in, in the day. Oh. They'll live for months at a time in submerged bunkhouses. Uh, kelp, which is rich in protein, could be ground into powder, which could be regenerated chemically to taste like anything from steak to bourbon. And back in 1968, steak and bourbon was uh, probably the foundation of the food pyramid. Now, it's true that seaweed extracts are used commonly as additives today, but we have a long way to go before we uh, have frogmen farmers. We use kelp seasoning Yeah. when we make faux chicken salad sandwiches. It's good. It is good. Now, here's an interesting idea that came from the same 1966 article, um, especially if you don't like the way your spouse behaves. Mm-hmm. Listening. They said in the future, you'll be able to secretly control one another's moods with, quote, grouch pills. This was the same article that predicted the kelp, uh, kelp frogmen. Um, again, the Rand Corporation <laughs> predicted that if your spouse was in a cranky mood, you'll be able to, quote, pop down to the corner drugstore and buy some anti-grouch pills to slip into their coffee. 
Yes, definitely drug your loved ones. <laughs> what? <laughs> now, it's true that in the last half century, we've made remarkable discoveries and huge advances in psychiatric medication, but it's highly doubtful that an instantaneous mind control pill will be developed, let along the legalities of slipping it into your loved one's highball. Well, I mean, if, if you do find such a pill, probably it will also cure your gout. In the middle of the 1900s, agriculture was becoming increasingly mechanized. And the middle decades of the 20th century, it changed the face of agriculture in a remarkable way. The agriculture secretary at the time, Orville Freeman, believed that all the advances in farming automation would, quote, chill the ageless intimacy between man and land. Um, meaning, of course, we would exhaust the potential uh, others were more optimistic, seeing nothing but increased progress and more high-tech modern machinery being developed. One of the predictions would be that eventually tomatoes would be square. Quote, another phenomenon in the not-too-distant future envisions the research and development, the future, this according to the research and development chief at Deer & Company, is square tomatoes, which after all could be more easily packaged by a machine and fit better into your sandwiches. I love this idea. <laughs> Why don't we have square tomatoes? I want, I want tomato slices that are the same shape and size as a slice of cheese. Sandwich construction would be so much more satisfying. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I don't like tomatoes. So, oh, okay. But I have seen those square watermelons, and those are very nice looking. But I don't think you're supposed to eat them. The idea of this is really appealing to me. Uh, I was I was making a grilled cheese sandwich earlier this week, and I'd bought yeah. The, tell me everything. The the larger slices of bread. You oh, know, the the artisan bread. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit bigger than than regular bread, and so the cheese slices wouldn't fit. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like one and a half cheese slices instead of moving the cheese slice to the middle mm -hmm. and making the grilled cheese sandwich, I cut another piece of cheese in half. And, you know, I don't want blank bread. No, of course not. I don't want blank bread. Not in my sandwich. Now, this next idea. Not in my sandwich. <laughs> Satan. I love this uh, next idea. I don't think we're too far away from it. In fact, some would say we're already here in some forms. Uh, they predicted we would be able to feel and smell whatever is on our television sets. Now, maybe we don't have odor vision yet, but uh, we do have chair shakers for home theaters. Mm -hmm. You know, if an explosion goes off, it'll shake the floor and shake your chair and right. make it more immersive, which, by the way, we're getting. I'm getting some of those. I, I don't want to smell everything I'm seeing on TV. I, like, I watch a lot of true crime, and I just, I don't think, you know... After 16 weeks, Janet's body was found. <laughs> like, I don't want yeah, to smell yeah, that. Yeah. Nobody wants to know what Lily's snow angel from Pitch Perfect smells like either. You know, when she did the snow angel and the vomit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. I thought you, more than anyone, would pick up on my obscure Pitch Perfect reference. I've seen the movie like twice. Oh, so okay. All right. I do enjoy it. She throws it, up, you know, was it Aubrey throws up? And then Lily makes a snow angel in it, in the vomit. I wish she hadn't. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least we didn't have smell-o-vision. In 1992, they predicted multi-sensual media. And according to the director of MIT's oh Media my. Lab, in the 21st century, uh, we will have, quote, full-color, large-scale holographic TVs with 
force feedback and olfactory output. In other words, you could watch TV. It would look 3D holographic. It would uh, be feelable and smellable. But uh, you make a good point. Choose your programming carefully uh, before you decide to smell what you're watching. And now, that thing in the middle. Edward Palmer from Boston invented the stocks. The stocks were a form of public humiliation and punishment, a wooden device that locked criminals in a seated or standing position. People then were allowed to throw rotten vegetables at them. Who was the first person ever to be put in the stocks? Edward Palmer. His crime? Charging too much for building stocks. Ah, summertime. You're at the pool, lake, or ocean. You have your sunscreen, new book, and favorite beverage. Then you awaken to find ants have eaten half your left foot. And you're headed to the emergency room. Ah, summertime. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. 
What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got a message from Sarah on Instagram. Hi there. After hearing the thing in the middle about medical typos, I wanted to share a little something to demonstrate the importance of punctuation. <laughs> I'm an x-ray tech, and throughout our shift, we check out the ER tracker. It shows patients' name, age, reason for visit, and whatnot. Sometimes patients are what I call two-for-ones. For example, they've twisted an ankle, but also they have a cough. And so there's the pertinent reason that they're there, but they also have something else going on. I won't forget, a couple of years ago, a patient was there with the stated complaint. Sore throat question stuck tampon. <laughs> a comma separating those two complaints would have changed the mental image completely. Oh, my God. <laughs> Punctuation is very important, kids. That's what we've learned today. <laughs> what are we going to learn from you, Miss Katrina Walls? Well, I want to start this off with a trigger warning. There's a lot that's not good about this. Oh. Um, it includes... Um, murder and sexual abuse and oh. uh, specifically child murder oh. and so i mean if you if you're not that i mean i get it yeah don't but right. yeah okay. okay on december 1st 1987 andrew gustafson returned from work to discover his family had been murdered in their towns in massachusetts home his seven-year-old daughter abigail's body was found face down in the bathtub mm. in the downstairs bathroom his five-year-old son, William, his body was found in the upstairs bathroom bathtub, face down. The cause of death for both children was drowning. Andrew's pregnant wife, Priscilla Gustafson, a nursery school teacher, was found face down on her bed. She'd been raped and shot multiple times at point-blank range. Police quickly identified 17-year-old Daniel LaPlante as a suspect, and a manhunt ensued. He was found hiding in a trash bin in a local lumberyard. Now, this was not LaPlante's first encounter with the law. And I'm going to tell you about what happened before. And he was 17. 17. Okay, go ahead. Annie Andrews and Jessica Andrews lived with their father, Brian Andrews, in Pepperell. Pepperell? Ugh, nothing in Massachusetts is pronounced the way it looks. Um, I'm just going to say Pepperell. Pepperell, Massachusetts. 
Annie and Jessica's mom, Brian's wife, had passed away not long before with cancer. And the girls obviously were having a hard time with the loss of their mother, Brian, as well, having a hard time with the loss of his wife. A few months after mom passed away, the girls began receiving phone calls from a boy who claimed to be a teenager in their neighborhood. Annie was 15 at the time, and the boy said that his name was Danny and that he had gotten her phone number from a mutual friend who attended her high school. So he said that he went to a different school, but he was the same age and had they had a mutual friend. All right. He described himself as tall, blonde, athletic, and he asked her out on a date. And after a few phone calls, she really liked talking with him, so she agreed. And he would pick her up at her house, and they would go to the local fair together. Well, date night arrived, and Danny came to Annie's home. Annie opened the door to discover a boy about her age, but not at all how Danny had described himself. He was thin and had greasy hair. He wasn't blonde even. Nothing about the way he described himself was how he actually presented. So this was early catfishing. It was very early catfishing. Danny was described by his classmates as creepy and weird. He had been abused by multiple adults in his life, and he was eventually referred to a psychiatrist who diagnosed him with hyperactivity disorder, dyslexia, and also began sexually abusing him. LaPlante obviously struggled emotionally and socially, and his outward appearance reflected what was going on internally. He also had a way of making people incredibly uncomfortable, as he did with Annie on their awkward date that she still agreed to go on She did. Yes. So they went to the fair together. And when Annie mentioned her mother and her mother's recent passing, she became incredibly uncomfortable when LaPlante began quizzing her about her dead mother about the cancer, about how it progressed, about how her mother suffered with the illness. Oh, my. So he had some sort of morbid fixation, and not in a good way. And not in a good way. Pretty quickly, Annie made up an excuse and scootled right home. She made it pretty clear that she wasn't interested in seeing Danny again. That was that. Not long after the date, Annie and her sister attempted to contact their deceased mother by performing a sort of seance in their basement. This is according to a piece written by Joe Turner. Jessica and Annie received a rhythmic knocking against their bedroom walls as they slept that night. And they thought that their their seance had worked. They they okay. thought that they were receiving a message from their recently departed mother. That's a logical assumption. Well, and it's something that they so much wanted. Unfortunately, the knocking persisted and... During the day or when Brian, dad, is around, uh, there's no knocking. But at night or when the girls are alone, um, the knocking's continuing. And this is going on for weeks. And it leads the girls to believe that their home is haunted. And they know now this cannot be the spirit of their mother. This doesn't make any sense. Why would their mother continually taunt them they're like when they're trying to sleep right. it's not nice mom's not going to disrupt your sleep patterns no so they feel like they're being haunted by a malevolent spirit 
So the sisters told their dad about what had been going on. But, of course, Brian attributed that to them not dealing well with their mother's death. It makes perfect sense. Of course. Especially considering they told him we tried to have a seance. Yeah, yeah. And we all deal with grief differently. Of course. But the tapping's becoming concerning. And it wasn't long before objects in the family home began moving around Mm -hmm. and sometimes disappearing. One of the girls would take food out of a cupboard and put it on the counter, leave the room, and then come back and the food is gone. You know, this kind of thing. It's The girls are becoming very upset by this persistent hassling by whatever's going on in their home. Even more so when one night they followed the tapping sounds to find a message written on the wall. I'm in your room. Come find me. Uh, nope. The girls desperately appealed to their father to believe them. He came home and discovered nothing. Well, what about the writing on the wall? Well, again, he's thinking that they're obviously one of them's disturbed or upset in some way and, and is expressing it in this way. But there's another incident not long after this where the girls are again hearing the tapping. But this time it seems to be coming from below them. And so they go into the basement. And again, there's a message written on the wall. And it's very intimidating. It's very scary. And the girls just leave the house immediately. They go to a neighbor's house. The neighbor calls Brian, the dad. And dad again comes home. He's actually starting to feel frustrated at this point, according to some sources, because he's dealing with the emotional after effects of losing his wife as well. And then his kids are going through what's obviously something that's very upsetting. Anyway, so Brian comes home. The girls are appealing to their father, please believe us. And so Brian storms into the house and into Annie's bedroom. And there he finds dressed in his wife. And the girl's mother's clothes and Uh, makeup. Oh, no. Daniel LaPlante. No. Holding a hatchet. Oh, my God. Um, wow. So Brian believes them now that something's uh, not not right. Obviously, Uh, Mm. there is a struggle. And LaPlante is able to escape almost bizarrely. It's like he disappeared. It didn't make any sense. So officers come to the house and they are seeing, you know, the state of disarray in the home. They they see that there have been messages left on the walls and they are searching the home. They find a hidden crawl space behind a cupboard which had been built into the wall of Annie Andrews' bedroom. And when the officer opened up the hatch, there he found Danny LaPlante inside. He had been living inside the walls of the Andrews' home to watch and torment the girls. You mean staying there 24 hours a day? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe he left to go to the mall or whatever. But yeah, okay. he was well, he was, was in the there 80s. doing the tapping, stealing yeah. their food, right. using the what he knew about their dead mother to torment, to them. torment them. It was found that LaPlante had a history of breaking and entering and burglary. And that's probably how he learned about Annie and Jessica in the first place and got their phone number. LaPlante was arrested and charged. He was released from a juvenile facility in October 1987. Two months later, he killed Priscilla Gustafson and her children. Oh, my God. 
This is according to the Lowell Sun. Fabian Salah, a child and adolescent general and forensic psychologist, said that while speaking with LaPlante, he said there was, quote, no evidence of emotion, no feelings, none whatsoever. He killed an entire family in a very systematic fashion. He pointed out that LaPlante went home and ate a piece of pie after killing three members of the Gustafson family on December 1st, 1987. That's unbelievable. About the same time that Andrew Gustafson came home from work, where he had been trying to contact his wife all day, by the way, because he'd just received a promotion and he wanted to have a nice night out. He wanted her to get a babysitter Mm -hmm. and yeah. So um, he finally got home from work to find his family had just been annihilated. And it was right around that same time that Daniel LaPlante was at his niece's birthday party uh, having some cake. (sighs) So Daniel LaPlante was sentenced to three life terms. And one thing that came up. Uh, over and over again during the trial and during the sentencing was that there didn't seem to be any remorse. It wasn't something that LaPlante was concerned about that he had done. Um, He had previously told people that he didn't care if he killed people. That was just, you know, he claimed he was a Satanist, you know, whatever. Yeah. And obviously had a lot of things going on himself that desperately needed to be addressed, but they weren't addressed. So his inner turmoil went outward. Yeah, there's something really, really tangled up inside a person who will murder a family and then eat pie. Yeah. Wow. LaPlante actually attempted to sue the courts multiple times for violation of his rights. In 2013, he filed a lawsuit against Massachusetts claiming he was unable to gain access to objects for religious reasons. And the fact that the jail wouldn't provide him with dragon's blood. Oh, no. On March 22nd, 2017, a resentencing hearing for LaPlante was held at Middlesex Superior Court. He had asked for a reduction in his sentence, and not many people were into that idea. Huh. Now, consider, he was 17 years old. I was going to say, getting three life sentences at the age of 17 mm-hmm. is pretty unusual. Yeah. Usually they, they, well, at least consider trying the person as a, uh, a minor. Mm. The nature of his crime mm-hmm. was what led to that just being thrown out the window. Yep, yep. It was just not something that they were willing to um, fuck around with. And that's, basically. that was the right decision, in my opinion. His behavior before the Gustafson murder yeah. was pretty vile and terrifying and obviously he had intended to harm these girls he was wielding a hatchet it's very hard not to see this you know with hindsight and saying well obviously Mm -hmm. he should have been treated differently or obviously he should have been sentenced differently the first time he didn't murder anyone the first time but that doesn't mean he wouldn't have you know but you can't try people based on what they wanted to do or what they mm-hmm. were going, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's not a uh, minority report kind of situation, <laughs> even though sometimes we wish that it was. I just wish, I guess, that um, s- more often in the past, violence against women was taken seriously, especially when this this kid obviously had malicious intent. Anyway, the judge affirmed LaPlante's sentence of three consecutive life terms. 
uh, with the possibility of parole after 45 years. Because, again, a forensic psychiatrist evaluated LaPlante and found that he was not remorseful for these crimes. Right, right, right. He did eventually make a statement where he said that he was very sorry, uh, but he made the statement to the judge when there were family members in the courtroom. And the opportunity was made for him to express his remorse to the family, but instead he expressed his remorse to the judge. And the judge said that that felt insincere. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, he was, I mean, that says a lot. Right. That says, I'm willing to say this in order to minimize my sentencing, but I am not willing to say it to the people who need to hear it the most. Right. Plus, a psychiatrist said he straight up doesn't care. Yeah. So um, I got most of my information from Grunge, from the Lowell Sun, from JoeTurnerBooks.com, and from MamaMia.au, which seems like a weird website to get crime information well, from. there you go. But, uh, there you go. Thanks for sticking with me. I know that one was kind of rough, uh, but um, absolutely interesting. And again, please take women seriously. Have you picked out your topic for the live Halloween show? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. The New York City show. Yeah. I, the thing is, I'm I'm trying to keep it. Uh, there's a there's a fine line, you know. I don't want the story to be too dark. Right. I don't want the story to be too light. You know, I want it to be interesting and also local. I I like it being a, a local story, and so trying to find just the right one has been a task. But um, I've narrowed it down. I think. Have you? No, I haven't even started All thinking right, about cool. it yet. Um, the show is October 29th. In... October 29th. Did I say August again? No. Okay, because I said August last time. I know. It's That's October. why I was saying it, not because yeah. you said it this time. Okay, you did I thought, fine. I thought I did it again. I'm sorry. It's, it's October 29th mm-hmm. um, in New York City. Tickets are available at theboxofoddities.com. It's our first New York City show. We're excited about it. And it will also be live streamed. So even if you are not in the greater New York City area, in the greater metro, as the cool kids say, then you can still watch it on the interwebs, theboxofoddities.com. Also wanted to mention that uh, we are always looking for amazing places to eat when we're in town. <laughs> we did get a recommendation. The other day we were dining at Natalie's in Camden, which, by the way, was a amazing incredible bar service incredible servers we had a great time and also it was mentioned that maybe we should try a place called abcv in manhattan um so we're going to try that but if you have suggestions for us uh for things to put in our face holes please send them to us because i like to do that she likes food yeah well we both do probably too much thanks a lot you guys we'll see you next time Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com 
on Facebook at facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast, on Twitter at Box of Oddities, and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.